Welcome to the sermon podcast for New Life Church's Cabot Campus. We are located at 3400 West Main Street in Cabot, Arkansas. Our service times are Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. To find more information about what we believe, upcoming events, and more, please visit newlifechurch.tv or you can text the word Cabot to 88,000. We're in this series, Who is Jesus? And last week, we spent some time talking about who he is as the good shepherd. That question, who is he, is the most important question that any of you will ever answer in the course of your life. But we also know that it's important to answer it accurately. And that's not always easy to do, especially in the culture and the day and age that we live in. And so we're doing our best to try to answer that question according to the word of God. Who is Jesus? Who is he? We looked at this verse last week in Psalm 24, verse 10. It says, who is he? This king of glory, the Lord Almighty. He is the king of glory. I wanna give you a little background and context about this Psalm, Psalm 24. Actually, originally went along with Psalm 23 and Psalm 22. They were both written a thousand years before Jesus, but they were prophetically speaking about who Jesus would be. And the interesting thing about this is in Jewish tradition and culture, there was a psalm that would be included every day in their morning worship. And the Psalm 24 would have been included in the worship on a Sunday morning. And so what I love about that is if you jump forward to the time of Jesus, when in the day that we would call the triumphal entry or Palm Sunday, that morning as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem and people are declaring, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of our Lord. And declaring who he was, there were people, the religious people that were in the temple still asking the question, this question, who is he? Who is he? And I think it's interesting that there can be a disconnect where there can be people that are declaring this is who he is and there can still be some people that are like, yeah, but who is he? Who is he? haven't figured it out for themselves. And so we've been looking at these statements about who Jesus is, and we've been looking at the fact that even in Bible times, the culture, the Romans, certainly the religious people still had a very difficult time accepting who he is and was and will forever be. Have you ever had those times when you've looked at somebody and said, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? That was certainly what these people were saying about Jesus. For the most part, this is what the religious people were saying. This is certainly what the Romans were saying. Who do you think you are? We've all had times when we've asked that question, we've looked at other people and have said that. For instance, if you've ever been out on the freeway and you're in the fast lane, and you're going in the fast lane, but then you notice ahead of you there's some traffic that's moving slower in the fast lane, and you realize a line has been created and the reason why that line has been created is because somebody at the front of that line has not been convicted of the fact that they were not created for that lane. They were created for the slow lane, but they tried it. They tried the fast lane, but now they are moving very, 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 very slowly around an 18-wheeler. And meanwhile, everyone that has been ordained and purposed for the fast lane is waiting behind them in line, trying to be patient, allowing them to figure this thing out to get back into the lane that they were created for. But as we're waiting in that line and we're just trying to do what we know the Lord has asked us to do, someone will drive up 
in the slow lane next to us. Just completely ignoring the fact that there are good faithful people already waiting in line to go around. And that person will speed past everyone who has been so patient, the fruit of the spirit is evident, and they will cut in on everyone that has been waiting in line. And at that point, you would declare, who do you think you are doing that? I'm sure that has happened. Or maybe there's been a time when you've gone to the beach and you've looked around and you've noticed there's a bunch of people that are wearing swimsuits that are at least four sizes too small for what they should be wearing. And your first thought is, I appreciate their confidence. But then you would also ask the question, who do they think they are? Or at any given point, if you have children, perhaps you went and you bought them a bag of candy, let's say Skittles, sour Skittles to be exact. Anybody like some sour Skittles in the house? Where are the Christians at? Okay. <laughs> so you bought them a bag of those sour Skittles and as they're enjoying that blessing, you look over at that child and you say, hey, do you mind if I have a couple of your Skittles? And they say, no. And your response is simply, you understand that God has placed me in your life. And the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. And he has put me as an instrument in your life to be the authority that dictates what is given and what is taken away. And you need to understand that I could rain down Skittles on your life to overflow in such a way that you would never have want of another Skittle for the rest of your life. Or I could take it all away and make sure that you never experience or see another Skittle to the return of Jesus and you stand before his judgment throne. I could do that. Who do you think you are? telling me that I can't have a couple of the Skittles that I gave you. That's a pretty hot topic, I guess. Who is Jesus? He knew it. He knows everything. In Matthew 16, 13, it says this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea and Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And I think Jesus almost like interrupted, okay, yeah, but, but what about you? What about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? You see, at that time, even people were trying to tell Jesus who he was. And they were mistaking his identity. He's John the Baptist, he's Elijah, he's a prophet, he's a teacher. That's not who he was. Have you ever mistaken somebody's identity before? Maybe you've been in a crowd of people and you walk up behind somebody who you think is your spouse. So you put your arms around them or maybe you just give them a nice little swat on the rear end only to find out that is not your spouse. It's a little awkward. You can think quick on your feet. You just say, good game, and you run off, you know, just...
Every once in a while, you can walk around a crowded room. I see this in the foyer. It's happened to me before where there'll be a family with young children, little kids, and, and they'll be following. But then you'll notice that the kids kind of start getting distracted a little bit and they start looking around. And before you know it, they've wandered off from their family and now they've kind of started following a different family. This has happened to me before where I will look down and a small child is hugging my leg who is not my child. And so I'll just simply say, hey, buddy, how you doing? And they will look up at me like I am a terrorist. <laughs> like I have kidnapped them. Like what, who do you think you are? What do you think you're doing? And I'm like, you hugged me. But the truth is that can happen in any one of our lives where as we're walking through life, we can get distracted and begin attaching ourselves to something else or someone else other than God the Father, other than the great I am. It can happen. Raise your hand if you've ever had your identity stolen before. Anybody in the house? It hasn't happened to me, but I know it's a pretty big pain. In 2020, there were 4.8 million identity thefts or fraud reports reported in the United States alone. But here's the thing, no one else has had more attempts to steal their identity than Jesus. Culture tries to steal it, politics tries to steal it, universities, our own feelings, even some churches today have tried to steal the identity of Jesus. Nobody's identity has been more misunderstood, mistaken or stolen more often than Jesus' identity and Satan is at the front of that so badly trying to steal it. Why? Because he knows that there is salvation in his name, there is healing in his name, there is freedom in his name, there is restoration in his name. I've heard of some businesses recently that are offering like individual protection for people's identity. One is called LifeLock. So they're insured there's a cyber pirate or something like that that tries to steal identity, they're supposed to protect it. And there is one thing that will always, without a doubt, protect the identity of Jesus, the word of God, is the life lock to who Jesus is. You don't have to look any further to, to know exactly what his identity is, who he is. Which is why he had to set the record straight so often on who he really was. So let's look at one time that he did that. In John 8, Verse 56 says this, your father, Abraham, this is Jesus speaking to the Jewish leaders, the Jewish religious leaders. Your father, Abraham, rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly. Okay, anytime something's repeated, there is major emphasis. You need to listen. I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. But when you look in the original language, Jesus in this passage is literally taking on the name of God. He was saying, look, I didn't just come into being, I have always existed. And he makes the claim here that he is Yahweh. Yahweh, that is the name given to God's people, his specific and personal name. The Jews came to regard this name in such high esteem and high reverence that they would never even speak this name so they didn't risk taking it in vain. The English versions have basically followed the same pattern with this. When someone would read out of the word in that time, 
Instead of saying Yahweh, they would say the name Adonai. That's what they would say. So when you read in English translations, basically what we did is we translated it and put the word Lord in all caps. But it is the name Yahweh. The writers of the Bible, every one of the authors, anytime the name Yahweh was needing to be written, they would get a completely new quill or pen. And they would write the name Yahweh and then they would put that quill away and never use it again. That's how holy, that's how personal, that's how intimate, that's how powerful this is. And Jesus is saying, that's me. I am, I am. No greater name can a man call himself than Lord. And it is true or it is blasphemy. C.S. Lewis said it this way, Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or he really is your Lord, Yahweh. So a study called the State of Theology, it made what may be a surprising stat or study, it may not be too surprising for some of us, that the majority, 62% of the U.S. population rejects the deity of Christ. In other words, they reject that Jesus was and is God. What's more concerning than even that is that 30% of those who self-identify as Christians, which is ironic, Christ-ins, Christians, believe that Jesus was merely a great teacher and nothing more. But Jesus declared on more than one occasion that he was, I am. And so I wanna look at a couple of those instances this morning, a couple of the I am statements. First of all, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. In John 6, 35, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But Jesus is not talking about physical bread here, although we can all appreciate and get a little hungry just talking about bread. I mean, we love bread. Colton's rolls, anybody in the house, come on. We can, we can eat on some bread. Bread, desserts, all of that, come on. Somebody this morning when I got to church offered me banana nut bread and I had to rebuke them. Get behind thee, Satan. So let's just be honest. It should be called banana butt bread because when you eat it, it's gonna go straight to your butt every time. We love some bread. Bread will put on some weight though, except Ezekiel bread. You can try that. It won't put weight on. It tastes like cardboard. But we love bread. But he is saying, I'm way more satisfying than that. I am the bread of life. I'm the source that fulfills your deepest need your deepest desires. I think about the deficiencies that we have so many times in life. There's been a lot of times when each one of us, and maybe you can relate to some of these examples, when we have said, I am, and then we've declared something. Like, I am lonely. I need to go find a, a new boyfriend or girlfriend. I'm broke. I need to win the lottery or work myself to death. I'm stressed out. I need to go medicate it through my addiction or my coping mechanism, whatever that may be. 
What's interesting in every area that we might say, I am, Satan is always cooking up a counterfeit definition or solution to try to fill in the blank. He's trying to create an idol, a false satisfaction. And every one of those, what Jesus is saying, that anytime you say, I am lonely, he says, I am Jesus, a brother who stays close. If you say, I am broke, he says, I am Jesus and I am Jehovah Jireh and I will provide everything that you will ever need. When you say, I'm stressed out, Jesus says, I am the peace in the middle of the storm. When you say, I am anything in your life, Jesus is Yahweh and he fulfills every need, but in a lasting and eternal way that nothing else can. So I'm not saying you don't have practical needs, but I find so many times we go to trying to fulfill the practical and natural needs that we have in our lives before going to I am Yahweh who can fulfill what we really need first before we try to get the rest. Go to him as I am. I am the bread of life. Number two, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. John 15 says, I am the true vine, and the Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Then skipping on to verse five, it says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit apart from me. You can do nothing. Wow, nothing. So when you're going through hard times, situations, and circumstances in your life, you have to make a conscious decision on who is going to be your source. Where are you going to feed your soul? What is going to be the word from the great I am that is going to sustain you and be your supernatural, irrefutable truth through those times, through those circumstances? Honestly, I can meet people and within a couple minutes of conversation, especially if it's around politics, I can tell you exactly what news source they've been watching. Whether that's Fox News or CNN or any of them, I can tell you exactly which one they've been listening to. And here's the thing, they may have a Bible, they may even like the Bible, but I can tell at that point, the Bible has not been their source. Their source has been worldly, natural, temporary information. It certainly hasn't been an eternal God and the peace that transcends understanding that guards our hearts and minds. It hasn't been that. What's your source? You're gonna have to find that out. And here's the thing, you can't just try to tap into someone else's source. You've gotta find it for yourself. We had a man in our church that was having an issue with his internet, so he called the internet company. The internet company came out and checked out the internet box and found a 150 foot cable that had been spliced into his internet box that was running to one of his neighbor's houses. How many of y'all know he cut that cable? He's not interested in sharing that. There's been times I've been at the house and I've been watching a game or something on the TV and it's getting in one of those spots where even though I know it's not true, in that moment I've somehow convinced myself that God cares about sports and that he cares about my prayers regarding sports. And so to hit one of those moments and then my internet starts to lag and players freeze. And at that moment, 
I will declare an edict across the house that every device that could possibly be connected to internet in that moment will cease and desist immediately. I don't care what they're doing. I don't care how important they think it is. I want everything off the internet because in that moment, that game and what is happening next is the most important thing on planet Earth. I'm not interested in somebody else taking up bandwidth. And I would tell you that on a serious note, you need to be that passionate about making sure that you're connected to your own source and not trying to pull off of someone else's source. In other words, so many times in our lives, we get to a place where we're trying to hijack his presence or his revelation from another spiritual friend, leader, or pastor. But no one can do for you what the source I am can do for you, and you have to get connected to him personally. Because he turned water into wine. He has power over demons, power over disease, power over the wind and waves, power over death and hell and the grave itself. He is the source. He is the bread of life, you have to be connected to him. He is the true vine, you have to be connected to him. And he is the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, six, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's clear what he's saying here. He's saying, I am the only access point That's it. Not just a way. Jesus says, I am the way. What path are you on today? What path are you on? So many people are believing that just being a good person is what gets us to heaven. And some would even say that everyone somehow, at one point or another, by some means, is gonna make their way to heaven. Like everybody. But let's look at what the word says. Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it is the way to death. John 7, 13 says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, but the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. The reality is not all paths lead to God only one path. Have you ever noticed when you're driving down the highway, maybe you see bikers and there's one biker going one way and a biker coming the other way, motorcyclists. When they pass each other, they wave. They just stick out their hand, little biker wave. Yeah. Well, a while back, I was a biker. Granted, it was just really an oversized scooter, okay? But but it was a bike, it had two wheels. And I remember during that time, I would pass bikers on the road. And as they came close, I would put on my hand to do the biker wave. And initially they would, until they realized, no sir, you're riding a big scooter. And I noticed some of them try to retract their membership wave from me. So they'd stick out and then they'd be like, jack it back real quick. Like, no, sorry, big boy, you don't get the wave. 
and that hurt. I felt a little bit of rejection from that, you know. Now I own a Jeep. So there's a Jeep wave. <laughs> Typically your hand's just up on the wheel. It's, it's pretty nonchalant. Oh, you know. And some of you are thinking, I own a Jeep. Why don't I get the Jeep wave? No, you have a mall crawler. Mall crawlers don't get the Jeep wave, okay? It's, this, is, this is an exclusive club, okay? I will say Cody is jealous. She drives a minivan. I've encouraged your baby, start your own minivan wave. Not sure what it would look like, probably something like this. Just super friendly embarrassed about what you're driving, but loving life in general, you know. The point is this. There are things in life that we actually accept and enjoy that are exclusive. It's interesting, though, that when it comes to the gospel, we get offended because it's exclusive. And I want you to hear my heart on this. The gospel offends people because it says that good intentions won't save you, only Jesus saves you. And suggesting that submission and surrender to Jesus is wrong or not the only way, it belittles the cost of sin, the sacrifice of Jesus and the hope of the resurrection. And so we can't, it is exclusive. The difference is this, anything else that's exclusive that you want to be a member of, you have to pay a lot and cost and pay a price and, and sacrifice for that. But in this case, this exclusive place, the price has already been paid. The sacrifice already made, all you have to do is accept it. But it is exclusive. Jesus declared, I am the only way. I am the only truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That is it. Going back to John 8, 56, it says, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, So you're not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you before Abraham, I am. They wanted to kill Jesus when he said this. They thought it was blasphemy. But the truth is this, when you hear that or when you read that, all of us are faced with a decision. When we ask the question, who is he? The decision, is he, is he truly God? Is he truly Lord? There are many times that you're gonna be forced to make a decision. When you're driving down the road and you're getting ready to go through stoplights and that stoplight turns yellow, you gotta make a decision. Are you gonna punch it or slam on the brake? Who's gonna punch it and go through that light? Okay, my people. How many of you are safe, more cautious, and you're gonna slow down and stop if it turns yellow? We're thankful for you. Thank you for bringing balance. 
You're gonna make a decision. There's times you're gonna be forced to make a decision and it's not gonna be easy. It can be difficult. I think about young ladies. I always get nervous for young ladies who are in a public place when they get proposed to. You get nervous for them. Like that is a tough decision when you're around a lot of people. I know of one couple, some people we knew back in Bible school and uh, the girlfriend was on a missions trip and we were in China and we had an off day and so we went to the Great Wall. So we're up on the Great Wall and what she didn't know is that her boyfriend had secretly bought a ticket to fly over from the US to fly to China to meet the team on the Great Wall of China the day that they were there so that he could propose to her. And so he did propose and she said, no. It's sad, but it's kind of funny too, if you think about it. (laughs) But you know what? I was really proud of her because she knew it wasn't from God. She knew she wasn't supposed to spend the rest of her life with him. And the fact is, Now, fast forward, both of them are in a much better place because she made the tough decision. In your own life, you're gonna have to make the decision. Do you just fall in love with and romanticize the idea that Jesus is a savior who rescued you from your sin? But then you pick and choose what days he's your Lord. You pick and choose what days he is Yahweh. I'm just telling you this, he will always love you. And he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But if you wanna experience everything that he truly has for you, he needs to be your Lord and savior. It's a package deal. The reason why he has the authority to be your savior is because he has the authority given to him by God the Father. He is Yahweh. He's given that name. But you have to make the decision. He's either a lunatic, a liar, or he's Lord. There's no in between. And I believe more than any time other in my life, without a shadow of a doubt, he is Lord. He is Yahweh. But again, you can't borrow my confidence. You can't borrow the anointing of this church. You can't try to hijack what God is doing in someone else's life. You're gonna have to make the decision for yourself and get plugged into him. He is, I am. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. We're answering that question, who is he? Who is he? Some of these things, it is a matter of you understanding love and acceptance and forgiveness. But I think it's very important that you understand that that love and grace and acceptance, it is because he is first and foremost, Lord, he's Yahweh. And so if you're here today and maybe you've just never truly surrendered to that fact, maybe you've never surrendered to the fact that he is the way, the truth, he's the life. No one, it doesn't matter who you are, 
doesn't matter who your mama was, who your daddy was, doesn't matter how long you went to church, doesn't matter how many Bible verses you know, the only way to him is through Jesus. It's a surrender to his lordship. And so maybe you've never surrendered to him, truly. Maybe you did at some point. Maybe you sensed it. Maybe you felt totally confident about it, but maybe you have spent a season of your life where you asked him to step off the throne of your life so that you could sit on it. And I don't know where you're at with that, but I do know this. He's ready for you to come back to him. So I'd love to pray with anybody who just needs to declare that he is, I am. Not for everyone else, but for you. Or maybe rededicate your life. Come back to him. Confess him as your Lord. If you're here today, I wanna give you a chance just to respond to that. As an act of your own free will, as a demonstration of your faith and humility and willingness to say, I'm weak and I need him. I wanna pray with you. And if that is you, I want you to put your hand up right now across this room and keep it up as soon as I see you. I just wanna affirm, this isn't what gets you saved, but I just wanna let you know I'm praying with you. Yes, ma'am, got you right here. Anyone else? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Got you there at the back. Anyone else? I'm ready to surrender to Jesus. I want him to be my Lord. Got you. Anyone else? I know I'm away from him. I've played the Christian game. I've had lots of good intentions. I've tried to be a good person, but I'm recognizing now that none of that is enough. I've got to surrender. He's got to be the Lord. Anyone else? just sensing a little bit of stubbornness. Uh, again, you raising your hand is not what gets you saved. I, I just know anytime I've stepped out and been obedient by doing something of an action, something of my own free will, it just helps grace hit my life. It releases faith to receive. So there's a lot of times in your life that God is gonna use your stubbornness for his glory and for his kingdom, but he can't do that until he is Lord. And this is not the time to be stubborn. This is the time to let him move. So again, is there anyone else? That's you, I'm just being stubborn. Okay, thank you, thank you. Got it, got it. Thank you for being faithful, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You're, you say that it's your gentleness that draws us to repentance. And you're so gracious and so loving and faithful. And we just come before you today as broken people in need, in need of a holy God, in need of a perfect Savior, in need of surrender. So, I'd like you just to, if you raise your hand, just say this prayer. And say it loud enough for your own ears to hear it or just in your own heart. I, I, 
I would encourage you. The word says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father, then you will be saved. And so I think it's important that because of your own faith that you declare this. It's important for your own ears to hear it. It's important for the body of Christ to know that so they can encourage you and love you. It's important for the enemy to hear it so they know who you belong to. And I'd encourage you to do that. Water baptism is a great way to declare your faith in Jesus. We'll have a chance coming up this Wednesday night, but right there in your chair, between you and the Lord, say this. Say, Jesus, I need you. I'm a sinner and I can't save myself. I believe that you paid the price on the cross for my sin and I ask for your forgiveness. And I believe that you rose from the grave and when you rose from the grave, you defeated my sin. You defeated death itself. So now I have the hope of heaven and eternity with you. But I wanna live my purpose and I wanna live my calling here, now. And I know that I will miss out on that if I'm in control. I will miss out on that if I'm trying to be Lord of my life. And so I surrender to you, Jesus. Be, I am in my life. I stop, I repent, I'm not gonna live for myself. I'm not gonna live for the world. I wanna live for you. Show me the way, give me the grace to live for you for the rest of my life. Thank you for that. We declare as a church, Jesus, you are, I am. You are, you're the Lord, you're Yahweh. Thank you for being the way. Thank you for making a way for us, for me. We're gonna live our lives in such a way that demonstrate the kind of love and kind of grace, the fruit of the Spirit that'll draw other people to you as the way. Father, I pray that we would help every person that made a decision for you to walk in discipleship, to deepen their relationship with you in devotion, to become a fully developed follower of Christ. And I thank you, Jesus, that you didn't just die and leave us. You gave us your spirit. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're still working and still moving. And I pray each one of us would have a deeper understanding and acceptance of who you are and how you help us. I pray that your presence, your gifts, most importantly, your fruit would be evident in every one of our lives in a powerful way. Lead us and guide us, helper. Be with us, great physician and counselor. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.